Hello and welcome to the CBGS podcast brought to you by Aspen Waits. Aspen Waits. Aspen Waits. I'm here with Maximus Paulus. Maximus Decimus Waits. Da- da- Davidus Waitius. Meridius. <laughs> Maximus Decimus Meridius Waits. <laughs> and um, we're going to be talking today about economics. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for that, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> a, a vast, broad subject. Um, <laughs> and it that um, Paul holds it very dear to his heart because he does he well I would hope so <laughs> <laughs> because um, I know I know you studied economics at university I did and and at college no not just yes. and at college as well mm. yeah I studied so. economics from the ages of sixteen to twenty one wow as well I have as an honours degree in economics. Mm. So yeah, I don't know very much about economics. No, no nor does anybody else. <laughs> as, as as the current Brexit debate shows, the BBC uh, certainly doesn't understand anything about economics. Mm, uh, there you go. So I'm wondering if you can enlighten us a little well, bit. But where to start from the beginning? Where to start? Where to start? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. This um, I um, when I when I when I started my A levels when I was 16, uh, I did accountancy and economics A levels, mm. uh, which I thought was a very good choice considering I wanted to be a chartered accountant later on and, and ultimately that proved to be the case and certainly um, my what turned out to be prowess prowess mm. uh, in the field of economics is probably um, more than anything else probably more than accountancy shaped my ability to understand business and um, make good predictions mm. for instance and understand what's Maybe going on from, from like a wider perspective from a macro level, mm, uh, could mm. call that's a very relevant word in the field mm. of economics. Mm. Um, but uh, I think the whole point is when when Drew told me he wanted us to talk about economics today, my heart sank because, <laughs> uh, probably truthfully, I haven't read a book on economics for about thirty something years, <laughs> and uh, obviously uh, there is a lot of theory in economics, mm. which some people you'll see on, uh, well, in the Bank of England, for instance. Uh, they they may be what's called a Keynesian economist, which is right. they're heavily influenced by John, John Maynard Keynes, who's one of the godfathers of economics. So he had a, you know, he has very strong views on what happens with the supply of money and if you increase it and reduce it and all that sort of thing, right. and what happens to inflation and employment and mm. all these sort of things. It was a subject that I, for whatever reason, found very difficult to come to terms with. So um, I remember reading in your book it said uh, the first um, it, you didn't quite get it at first, but then all of a sudden in the second year yeah. was it that you just poof, at the end of the first year I came second last mm. uh, out of quite a lot of people. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I seem to remember it was sixty two, but it seems a, of all the people doing economics at Bridgewater College, uh, uh, I was second last anyway. I don't, it, I, it, it doesn't really matter whether mm. I was sixty first or thirty first, but I was second last. And then by the time we actually got to the A levels, I was. One of the best two. Mm, wow! <laughs> and then, obviously, at university, um, I was uh, extremely good at certain parts of economics because economics is a uh, vast subject. So, for instance, at university, I studied managerial economics. Right. Okay. So you've, you've got uh, economics. Um, so let's go back to, to its roots. So, uh, what does economics mean? Mm-hmm. So, economics um, has sort of been understood by civilization since the Greeks. Mm-hmm. So um, the Greeks would understand, you know, what economics was all about. Um, 
and I suppose really in terms of um, where learning starts in the Western world, it probably starts with a very famous gentleman called Adam Smith, who I think was born in 1723. So he was writing probably in the late 1750s. He wrote a an extremely famous book, which is called The Wealth of Nations. Right. Probably one of the most famous books of all time, mm-hmm. certainly, you know, academic-wise. Incredibly um, influential, we would. Uh, pioneering and influential uh, book. Um, and as the name would suggest, uh, Keynes, uh, <laughs> Smith, <laughs> who was a Scot, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, Smith, Scorn. basically, his assertion was that economics effectively was all to do with the creation of wealth right. and how it was allocated uh, or or how it could be uh, achieved or how it could be increased. Um, so all of his work was basically all to do with wealth. Now, it's interesting uh, that that in itself has sort of fallen out of favour right. a bit. So... Uh, but it's interesting, if you look at the Oxford English Dictionary and you say, what does economics mean? It actually says the production, consumption and distribution of wealth across mm. society. That's what it says. Mm. Um, these days, I would say that probably what most people, you know, people that have a, have an opinion, you know, uh, uh, they would probably say that what, what, what economics is, is the production, consumption and distribution of goods and services in in the wider economy, mm. which could be the national economy or the international economy. When you're just looking at a country on its own, that's called macroeconomics. Right. So if you're just looking at you, the UK's economy, that is macroeconomics, okay? And obviously microeconomics is obviously by the nature of its name, drilling down into something mm. specific. And then um, probably more contemporary economists, people like Samuelson, and it's quite funny this because uh, uh, obviously when I was at university, I had to buy a whole load of books. Mm. I don't know how many books I had. Twenty. Wow. You know, so I actually had a book by Samuelson and uh, I think Modigliani and Miller. I seem to, I seem to remember them. Mm. Um, I obviously read I read Adam Smith stuff when I was sixteen, I think, or seventeen. Um, and I think what's what's happened in more um, what's happened in more uh, recent times is there's been more a focus. Of, so it's, so just to be clear, it's a social science. Okay? Right. I, didn't make, I should have made that quite clear. So econ- economics is in itself a social science. So as Ben will tell you, that means it doesn't qualify for R and D tax credits. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that one in, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so people basically studying economics in itself um, for, for the pursuit of advancement of knowledge doesn't actually get you any dosh back from the tax man because mm. um, it's not a commercial application in a relevant science so it's a social science and really people now are more interested in how uh, the production of goods and services affects people mm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. more, you know more welfare social so interaction from people. wealth to welfare yeah uh, mm-hmm. and of course to some extent economics means different things to different people so if you look at the current political landscape mm-hmm. effectively got a Marxist hugely left-wing opposition in the Labour government so you've got J- John Donnell and um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn effectively believe in uh, so so I've actually this is, this is this is one of the most laughable assertions I've ever heard in my lifetime mm-hmm. so 
uh, I've heard said many times, it's also been said by um, some of the Democrats in America, uh, that effectively um, free market economy and ca- capitalism is dead. Mm. That's what they say. It's a failed... Now, what is what is so amusing about that is... So, John Donnell and Jeremy Corbyn believe that basically the state... You know, everything revolves around the state. So, they don't understand how business works, how important the private, you know, private economy, SMEs, are to the whole creation of wealth in our country, or indeed any other country. So they very naively, and that is that is a, the word to use, they very naively believe that by pumping vast amounts of money into public services, such as transport, uh, health, uh, etc., and having a vast uh, bureaucracy with loads of civil servants, that somehow or other that's a good thing to do. And you'll hear, you'll hear um, people like them all the time. I'm not saying I disagree with all of, all of this, but in a different way, uh, talking about the need to invest in roads and trains and hospitals and things, you know. Um, and, and so, to me, that's that's a slightly there's a different argument there. So, to me, that that isn't that isn't any. You mustn't confuse building a hospital with creating wealth. You build a hospital because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm a great believer in... So I do believe that the rich should look after the poor and there should be a distribution of wealth, but the, the distribution of wealth should be by choice. Mm. So if you then, um, for instance, then compared their their views with mine, mm-hmm. and I'm probably a bit of a odd person to, to, to choose because... Um, most most people who firmly believe in capitalism and the, the free creation of wealth um, don't wouldn't also, for instance, uh, recognise the need for some industries to be state owned, like mm. I do. Right. Okay. So if I was the chancellor, I actually would put money into businesses to save them. Mm. So I, w- I would I would want us as a country to have a steel industry. Mm-hmm. I would want us to have a vibrant car industry. Mm. You see what I mean? Mm. Um, because this is this is again where where economics gets very interesting because uh, you get into what's called the co- have you heard of cost benefit analysis? So if, if yeah, I just give you a simple example, so say um, say there was a, a business in Bridgewater that uh, owed a million pounds, mm-hmm. and if it goes bust, two hundred people are going to go unemployed. Mm-hmm. So if you just sat there and said. You know, let's just make reasonable sum. And this is just 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 for the purposes of of today's podcast, okay? So if you then said that even that those two hundred people on average were unemployed for six months, okay, and that that cost the taxpayer ten thousand pounds a person, mm-hmm. right? So that's two hundred thousand. That's that's uh, two hundred. Sorry, two million pounds of uh, of taxpayers' money just to fund those unemployed people, isn't it? Yeah. So why wouldn't you give the company a million pounds? Not saying you should, but no. I, I, I would question that. Mm. So I would, I would, you know, I would, I would uh, be looking to do things like, you know, mm. but you wouldn't just give it out willy nilly because obviously if the company was rotten, you know, mm. and wasn't saveable, it would be, you, you know, if if it needed a million pounds, then another year's time it needed a million pounds. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah. But. Um, but you know, I, I'm 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 a great believer. I'd, I'd say the, the thing that would define my view on economics, etc., is 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 the freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. 
So if you take me, for instance, you know, I obviously pay uh, significantly more tax than an average person would, right? Which within reason is, is okay, you know? I, I haven't really met anyone... Well, I, you do see people on the telly who say they would gladly pay another £5,000 if so-and-so and so-and-so, but I don't think that's a, a popular view. You know, I think I pay quite a lot of tax. I don't really want to pay much more. Mm-hmm. I think the point that I would make, you know, is that um, if we talk about the creation of wealth, going back to Adam Smith's thing, that, that economics was all about the creation of wealth and distribution of wealth across society from the top to the bottom, then... Uh, I, I I am I don't, I don't know I, I'm probably making a contribution of probably at least a million pounds a year in taxes through payroll taxes uh, probably Aspen Waits VAT bills across all its companies would be a million pounds a year mm. so as far as I'm concerned I'm I'm what's happening with Aspen Waits is a great example of my of my of my views on economics mm. you've got a, a, a driven entrepreneur like me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Who embarks on a course, and is is sustainably creating wealth, employing uh, people like you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously you know you can see how much you've progressed, you know, in the time that you've been with us, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you know you've got an ever expanding uh, workforce, and therefore more and more taxes, and then of course uh, I'm not saying that all people in my position are like this but we have also spent tens of thousands of pounds supporting weaker businesses mm-hmm. um, little things like supporting poor people in South Wales perhaps or mm-hmm. you know uh, to me and to me that's what it's all about but that's my choice yeah so no one's telling me I have to do it mm. yeah mm. And I think that's I think that I think that is that is very important Um uh, so I think you know I I I, I so I, what I believe in is the uh, so basically uh, in, in, in ideal world a market free from restriction mm-hmm. where you have complete openness and ability to pretty much do whatever you want free trade if you like across the world uh, with the right of any person to to basically no matter who they are you know from the poor for the very poorest person to privileged person can can go into business and 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 make as much money as they want mm, mm. That, that would sum up my you know my, my personal beliefs mm. yeah be able to cho- be able to choose what, what they do you know that's um, well that being taxed to the he- high heaven um, yeah. you know this is one you know this is one you know so you know, so we, so, you know economics you know in its you know so economics is all about things you know you'll hear um, you'll hear the BBC going on all the time about um, that you know that the OECD say this, and the, the British Federation of Industries say this, and you know, uh, if there's a no deal Brexit, it's going to be cataclysmic for this country. We're going to have a recession. There's going to be two million people unemployed. Blah 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 blah. Well, that's just based on the forecast, isn't it? Mm. And that happens to be their that happens to be their assumption. But if you listen to how someone like Emily Maitlis would be the best example, uh, she she talks like it's real mm. it's not like this is what people think will happen it is it will happen and they'll even say things like well um well how can so say she was talking to me she'd say well you're only poor weight so you're saying it's going to be all right but all these other people say 
it's going to be bad, therefore it must be bad, mustn't it? Mm -hmm. Because they're much cleverer than you. Mm. And you know what I mean? That's mm. that sort of. And of course, fortunately, there are enough uh, free willed people to turn around and say, well, no, no, that isn't actually right, you know? Mm. Mm. And I think, you know, what, what, what economics is, which is why I like it so much, which is why I finally got it, I think what, what, he, what a, a, a knowledge of economics does is it, it gives you the building blocks to do something better or bigger. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's this theory of a, a, or a bigger vision that um, it gives you the theory of how things work on a, on a wider scale so you can take that and apply that. I think you've kind of done that with business as well. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's how it's kind of helped you with the vision aspect of business or seeing it that it could be a lot bigger. Yeah. yeah, I, th I, you know, I, th I think we discussed this last week in the podcast. I think one thing I do particularly well is um, I've taken my economics degree mm -hmm. and I've gone out to bat in the real world with it. Mm. I'm not sitting there writing loads of books about what happens with cost push inflation or yeah, like stag inflation or yeah. you know or, or this sort of thing. Um, and and so you know I do I do enjoy uh, I do enjoy uh, that side of things you know sort of things like predicting future interest rates. Um, so for instance, I think there'll be a recession next year. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Interest rates will be low for at least three years. Mm. In my opinion, of course. Mm. You know? mm -hmm. um, and it's nice to have the wisdom in your brain to be able to mm. take the available data you have and. And of course, you know what 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 makes um, without being too arrogant, what makes a good advisor, economist, accountant, what differentiates the best from the average is the ability to put that X factor in. That it's like um, it's not it's not really got anything to do with economics, but I predicted how much money we would bank in Asper Marketing this month to two grand in four hundred and ten. Wow. <laughs> ben walks in and he's like in awe and he's like mm -hmm. you know you're like Mystic Meg mm. you know how do you do it well, at the moment, all, he's got exactly the same data available to him as I have yeah but he yeah. isn't able to make that same <laughs> so I'm able to take the data I have available to me and then make certain assumptions and throw in a little bit of intuition to come out with the result which is mm. usually not far wrong mm. you know oh that's it and do you think um, studying e economics or um, learning a bit more about it for SME, like business owners, um, would be would be a positive thing because it gives you that wider uh, kind of perspective to make those decisions? I think, um, it, well, for a start, not not additional knowledge can never be a bad thing. Mm. So mm. you'd have to say that. Yeah. Anybody who who learns something about anything has got to be better for the experience in my in my opinion I would say I mean, it depends really on how far you wanted to take that I think um, uh, you know a managing director of a company having some degree of understanding about um, the effects of generous pay rises say on national inflation or something mm. like that you know mm. Mm. that would that would clearly seem to me to be quite a good thing you know quite a good thing to do mm. so I probably would cherry pick the more relevant pits of economics and then do workshops on those. Mm, mm, mm. And um, how how do you think it's helped? Like, how has it helped you in the in the um, in the biggest way? 
but yeah, well, I, I think I tried to cover that earlier. So I think yeah. it, 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 it's not something that is conscious. Yeah, it's more. Uh, I have, I have, I have achieved. Uh, I, I managed to achieve uh, a level of competence mm. in the field of economics, and and of course, like anything, you know, there are uh, there are certain aspects of economics which make more sense to me than others mm. as you mm. would expect mm. you know um, when you said ma- management economics managerial mid- economics managerial what, what's, what does that kind of entail then I, I spent about 30 years trying to forget because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's loads of different parts I don't yeah <laughs> I mean uh, I, I, to be honest, I don't, uh, seriously without being funny I mean I, I, I generally can't if you said to me what does it manage what's the managerial economics all about I can't truthfully <laughs> really remember other than uh, it, it seems to me that um, uh, you know it's obviously the the field of economics that uh, that is relevant to managers or mm-hmm. or, that, or that side so um, as I said I think um Having having a good understanding of the interaction of things like um, you know uh, increased costs and inflation and uh, all sorts of things um, has got to be, I suppose. I mean, if you if you if you if you look at my thought process, for instance, you know, as a person, despite the um, zany side of me, whatever that whatever word people would use, <laughs> insane, bad, <laughs> or. Um, the way I think is as cold-bloodedly logical as anyone I've ever met. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I tend I tend very much to build theories and thought processes very logically off the basis of a solid foundation, is mm. how I would put it. Mm. So if I was an architect, I'd build a house after I've done a meticulous plan. Mm. I know exactly what the soil is, what the problems are, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so when and, and so I think um, my economics knowledge uh, gives me the intellectual foundation mm. for me to do other things with confidence because it gives me the ability to extrapolate and and use intuition off off what is a solid intellectual base. Mm. If that doesn't sound too hogwashy. No, yeah, it's it. I can I I can see like in my head I've got like accountancy as the as the numbers and the and the nitty gritty like like things, and then economics is almost the theory behind it, or 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 how how you and so yeah, really like um, formidable pairing. No, it's interesting. I mean, I was thinking. I don't know where this came from. Then I was thinking almost like. Um, you know, like the account- accountancy is like a planet, and the economics, the economics is like the solar system. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, <laughs> How all the planets fit together? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and it is, it is a. I think I don't know because obviously, uh, you know, someone I don't know if anyone ever could, but I suspect the reason why uh, it took me a year to to get economics is because my brain tried to do it properly mm. I'm not the sort of you, you know you must have gone to school with these people so you know I can remember my university class uh, and this is not meant to be uh, sexist at all but uh, I would say in my in my in my class bearing in mind so all the people in my class were doing an economics degree I think uh, but you you could so I, I I did an economics degree but I made what's called majored in accountancy uh, 
so in order to have the economics degree you had to have certain you had to take certain so I think three of my subjects were economics subjects right and four of them were allowed to be something else ah okay mm. so I did like financial management effectively international accounting mm. financial accounting um so in my class, so I say, so you, you know, you, you had very few people who did all the same subjects as me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the three economics ones, everyone had to do. So that class would have probably 120 people in it. And mm. um, my <coughs> international accounting course might have only had 64 people in it. Mm. That probably be, it'd be something like that, you know. Mm. There were a very large number of ladies, if I if I had to be honest, um, who effectively got good marks but they didn't really understand what they were doing oh <laughs> what about you know the, what we would call swats mm. the people who wrote learn mm. you know study very hard can recite and remember mm. that for a short window of time which allows them to get a decent mark in uh, their exam I can remember there were three or four girls in particular in my class and I can remember when we started work very confidently saying to one of my friends that they wouldn't mm-hmm. cut it and I knew that I would because mm-hmm. basically you know I, as you probably might imagine so mm-hmm. t- to some extent uh, I, I, so I, I don't think it could be said that for the whole three years of university I worked as hard as I should have done mm-hmm. um, because to me going to university wasn't just about learning yeah yeah you know so I drank a lot of beer and danced a lot and yeah had a lot, a lot of fun of experiences you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I think that's that's also stood me in very good stead to be honest here mm. um, and I was very confident that when it came to the real world that I'd managed to achieve something comparable with these people without having to work as hard mm. Mm. so I felt very confident that when I was put into the real world I would really come into my own and that's what happened yeah that's exactly what yeah. happened that's a, that, that balance is what I just hear in my head then when you're saying that like um, and which brings us on to a, another part about like um, you know e- economic freedom in a person and um, whether that that is the main aspect that they need for happiness say like in 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 normal in in life and um you know like what you're saying in university you realized that you had to have all of those different aspects of your life covers to to have the best time that you could you know mm. and i think that's really important as well like people get stuck up on how much money they earn a lot of the time or something like that and it's not that's not the um that's not going to be the thing that gives you the most happiness it's obviously going to going to help but you need all <laughs> aspects covered that's, that's, very, that's very interesting I mean if I didn't know if, 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 I did, if, if people didn't know any better it's, it's amazingly um, coincidental or whatever the right word is because um, Drew used the word happiness several times there mm. and it's very interesting because um, at the moment I'm, um, I'm, a, I'm a very happy Paul because last mm. week I met a guy called Professor Garth Allen who, oh, I, yeah. who I mentioned on last week's podcast uh, who also has a degree in economics, and but but is a much more academic economist than me, mm. and has also written a number of books on the subject. Uh, particularly interesting because without you know you know I often say to you that I tend to come up with things which get considered to be quite clever, but I don't mean them to be clever. <laughs> if, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You- <laughs> so like my idea about happy IP and happy business. You know, and then when you meet Prof Garth, and he sits there and says, "Oh, you've got to read the book called The Economics of Happiness," mm. which is now in the office. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I've 
I've got Ross, uh, so I haven't seen him yet because I know he turned up yesterday, I think. Mm -hmm. So we now have three books in our library, all to do with happiness in business and economics. Mm -hmm. So people have written books all about the economics of happiness. And you know, I was saying earlier on that um, that there's sort of been a move away from the traditional Adam Smith, um, you know, it's all about wealth, much more into things like happiness. Mm. You know, well-being. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's that's a very, thank you. That's a great word, actually. Mm-hmm. Or words, two words, or one word. Yeah. Thank you. We 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 look forward to your comments. <laughs> um, so, well-being, wellness. You often mm-hmm. hear people say that's a very au fait concept. Buzz, buzz. You know, it's very very chic and on vogue, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To, to be wellness. People talk about like wellness and all this. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know now. Uh, probably more contemporary thought would be very much all about the economics of happiness um and i think um well if i take myself you know uh i would say that well clearly i've said it many times money in itself is not nowhere near my biggest driver Mm -hmm. not not remotely Mm. it's i think i think um what money does is money makes things easier Mm -hmm. And in particular, I think uh, it allows it allows one to to show more largesse. Mm. You know, so having bigger profits makes it easier for you to give more money to charity. Mm. Having bigger profits makes it easier for you to support an ailing business. Mm. To have a foundation program to help the disadvantaged. You know what I mean? Mm. So to me. Uh, what what I like about having money is my greater ability to make more. I have more choice. Mm. You know what I, mean? I can make better decisions. Mm. In fact, that would be if I was going to write a book. That's what that's what I would. That's what it would mostly centre on. Having money allows you to make better decisions. Having no money encourages you to make bad decisions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, how's that? That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, and and it like. I think having that thought process is almost what makes you able to to get more money as well. Uh, like as in as in, um, I think the fact that it's not your driving factor or your driving force is opening up the opportunity for you to get more. I don't know, like yeah, you know, yeah. like. Well, um, if you were greedy with it, or if it was a, if it was a, oh, I'm just, I just want to fill the bank account up and that's it, then I don't think you'd have as much um, good fortune, maybe, or not. I don't, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to yeah, say. You're, you're, on the, you're on the right line. Yeah. I mean, I think again, in a previous, at least one previous podcast, if not several, mm. uh, I and and I, again, this is written in. I can't remember which book it is of mine, but uh, I am firmly of the opinion that you do not set up a business to make money. Mm. Money comes off the back of having a good business mm. not the other way around yeah, yeah. so um, one of the reasons for instance I admire Darren Horn even though he is completely fruitcakey and <laughs> totally inappropriate far more inappropriate than me which is why I like him existing the two Darrens Talbot and Horn were put on this planet to make me look better I think <laughs> so I'm very grateful to the Lord for doing that <laughs> um, but if you take Darren Horn as an example um, Aspenweight China UK has been built on really solid foundations Mm -hmm. so there's no we've got to make loads of money it's been slow steady you know earn respect build earn Mm. respect Mm. uh, to get to the point today where hopefully we can make some money 
you know what I mean? And that's the way it's got to be. Mm. I think having said that, uh, clearly, you know, one could one could um, give examples of billionaires who probably have quite ruthlessly built mm. up their millions through a very, very real focused effort. So, I don't know, um, buying property, mm. buying and selling property. I mean, it used to be a guy uh, who owned about half of Bridgewater. You know, I wouldn't say who he was because mm. anyone from Bridgewater would know who I mean. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously he had, I don't know, he probably had a portfolio of properties that's worth £100 million. I don't know. Mm. Probably something like that, you know. Mm. Um, so I, I don't think you could say that he, uh, that, that his model is the same as mine. Mm. Do you know what mm. I mean? You couldn't say that mm. he was someone who'd built a business the right way. Mm. Mm. You know, he he had built a fortune from his knowledge of the property market, should we say. Yeah. You know? Mm. Yeah, and that brings kind of like morality into it as it's like what's your what's your driving force? Like why do you want to do something? And I think if you're thinking about being happy, uh, which is obviously a very important thing. Yeah, in yes, life, I like this thing. Then good. uh then then you know, it's like why are you doing something? And I think if you do it um you know, it's not just for the money, and it's to, it's to help people. It's to help the wider world and people. Then you're you're going to be happier because of that. Well, this this is this is this is interesting, isn't it? You know, this is where you know things things like economics get really interesting because, um, you know, I'm sure that Adam Smith might have struggled to relate to the economics of happiness, mm. Mm. but the reality is is. Uh, probably in today's civilization. Well, if you if you think about today, you know when Adam Smith was alive, there was still slavery mm. across the world. Slavery across the world, people could get executed for stealing a bun. Mm. True, that's mad. Including ten-year-old children, for instance. Mm. You know, it was a hard, brutal world. People didn't have holidays. Mm. People would have. Some people would have lived their forty-seven years, whatever the average age was then, something like that. With not a holiday. Never had a holiday in their life. It's <laughs> crazy, uh, isn't it? I mean, I know people in my in my grand grand and granddad's village who never left Stagirsi. Mm. Never even you know. I mean, they if if you said something, they're going to Bridgewater, they get a nosebleed and <laughs> have a fit. You know, um, it mad. was a very very different world then. So. You know, it's, to us, it's, it's almost extraordinary. We can't comprehend the fact that a mill owner could have 200 employees and not give a pig's poo about mm. their condition or what he thought about a 10-year-old losing his arm in a in a accident or something, mm. you know, mm. or, or even worse, you know, because mm. that's just how it was and that's that's how people were, you know, and that's why I always think it's very important never to judge people historically by today's standards you just mm. have to judge them by the standards of the day mm. you know which is something in particular um left-wing sort of do-goody snowflakey people do a lot with colonialism mm. you know you, you hear a lot of people apologizing for our colonial past but actually you know as as a as a, a avid historian like me I can tell you that, for instance, if you look at Britain's behaviour in Africa and compared it to Germany and Belgium's, we look like babies mm. compared to Hitler. Mm. Mm. You know? The Belgians and Germans were appalling. At the same time as they were appalling, we were relatively all right. Mm. Maybe not by today's standards, but yeah. in comparison to them, we were 
brilliant, you know. Mm. And I think that's that's what the legacy should be. Mm. You know, so when Winston Churchill said, "On the whole, the British influence is a benign and kind influence," <laughs> then, uh, you know that is that is how it is. So I think that's you know, really, I, I really like the the way you're going with this because um, you know it's interesting. So I think the most the happiest place in the world to live is Norway. I think. Mm. I think that's right. Oh, okay. And we come something like. <laughs> 11th or 17th you know that sort of mm. you know we're not the top 10 I know that mm. but we're not the worst either you know mm. um, and obviously people in Britain on the whole work very hard compared to um, a lot of other western countries mm. but obviously nowhere near as hard as say someone in Bangladesh mm. you know mm. or India probably or, or China mm. you know it's, it's all relevant isn't it uh, relative, sorry, not relevant, mm-hmm. but it is relevant, but it's more, more relative. <laughs> relevant and relative. So, you know, I think, yeah, I think people are much more interested today on, like, the happy index, mm. you know. Um, I was very conscious that, uh, you know, we've got a, we've got four new employees starting, mm. well, the first one starting next Monday, Monday. Mm. and um, I've been getting a lot of correspondence from Rebecca Griffiths. We're about to have a meeting with her husband, Shane, aren't we? Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, our trusty recruitment lady. And I just sort of feel that the nature of the questions she's asking are slightly different to what I would have been asked 20 years ago. Mm, okay. You know, I think, I think people today expect more. Mm, mm. You know, what's, what's the healthcare package? What's yeah. the pension? What's, what, what benefits are there? Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, think, I think people, when they go for a job now, expect a lot more from the employer than they would have done when I was a young man. Mm. And like in industrially, as that was all growing, it's almost like yeah, you you have to um, work a lot harder. It's all new technologies. It's you know as it progresses and things get easier with technology, things are going to get easier. So you're almost like reaping the benefits now of all of those hundreds of years of of industrialization yeah, and yeah. everything. So it's like now we're like kind of get the morals or, or the things we're thinking about are changing a little bit. It's not about how many hours you do like. You know, it's 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 um, yeah. How how everybody's feeling? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was just thinking. You know, something I think something we really ought to talk about is education. Yeah. You know, so if you take um, the impact of knowledge and education upon the economy, mm. so I think this, so. This this would be a very good example of uh, different. So my my views would be probably almost uh, diametrically opposed to John John Donald's. Uh, mm opinion or Jeremy Corbyn's so to me uh, society must clearly benefit from a, a, a workforce and a population that is well educated mm-hmm. I also think so that's so you could call that a macro view mm-hmm. yeah, if, if we take that to a wider view yeah, macro being big or whatever the word is or great I think it might be um, and then if you then drill down into that uh, one of the reasons why I'm thoroughly opposed to mass people, you know, 50% of the people going to university is ludicrous, mm. you know. Uh, saying that uh, it's right for everyone to be able to go to university, yeah, everyone should have the, the opportunity to go to university, but having half the population go to university simply cheapens the qualification. Yeah. And if you actually look at the causal result, which is which at the end of the day is the most important, um, you know, we're there is a there's a real problem with mm. a generation of people because it, it's it's almost like um, and this is the, this is the trouble with well-meaning left left-wing thought in my opinion mm-hmm. it means well 
it, but it can dilute the. It means well, but the reality is, is that people operate in this mollycoddled vacuum, mm. if you like, mm. for a period of time, say three years at university. They then have to go into the real world. Mm. So, you know, if you if you look at say uh, how the average primary school would operate today, right? The day of me and the, the day of me winning five gold medals because I was the best runner, I won the egg and spoon race, I won the <laughs> whatever. That does, that's you're not allowed to do that anymore mm. because. Because Tommy doesn't want to. Tommy doesn't want to have the ignominy of coming last. So you can't have Weighty coming first and Tommy mm. coming last because poor old Tommy's going to be really upset. Mm. And he's going to, but the reality is that's what happens mm. when, when you when you actually get into the real world. Then Tommy does come last. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's it. It's like it, it, having having that kind of everyone the same thing. That it it won't be as good. And you can even see like like um, on a global like speaking to Darren about China. Um, and him saying that they have to import in innovation because the minds of their people, because it is a communist and it's all the same. No, exactly. It, they, they don't. Um, they don't. Well, they don't have create, aspiration. They've yeah. taken the word aspiration. Yeah, and, and yeah. So that natural competition within people creates aspiration. Well, it's more than that, isn't it? There's uh-huh. that, and the fact that in a communist society, mm. nobody dares to be better because there's no point. Yeah, exactly. Which, because we're all the same. Yeah. Everyone eats two boiled eggs. Definitely at don't like that. You have chicken at lunchtime, and you have lasagna at tea mm. time that's how it is mm. everyone does that you know but it's scary some people like want, want that like some people like that security of just like knowing knowing where they stand or what to what what do you know what i mean like um there's that safety blanket almost of um well there is yeah there's probably more than five percent of people in this country would would actively like a marxist world yeah it's crazy and whether they would after living in it for a year, mm. I, I doubt myself. Mm. But mm. you know, I it's think like that things come easy perspective in it of just like people would well, rather it, not work. It, 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 I mean, you know, um, the fact is, you know, there are a number of people who actually think that um, what I just said in the last five minutes is is, is deplorable. Mm. You know, and they probably say, I don't know what words they would use, but they they would probably call it elitist. Mm. Um, that I'm talking off the back of someone that has succeeded. What about the poor people that haven't? You know. Mm. Um, so having this sort of, it's a bit. I, I saw. I think. I think I might mention this on a podcast about six weeks ago. I saw a really interesting um, interview on BBC Two, and uh, I think it was my least favourite person, Rachel Shabby, on there. Mm-hmm. Who, was, who was a Marxist. And effectively, the the right wing person, if you have to call it so, who was up against her, what he basically said is, "You want everyone to live on the ground floor. Mm. You don't want anyone to be able to get to the first floor. You 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 would rather deny people the ability to get onto the first floor because you think it's because effectively she would rather have a hundred. So let's say um, you had a hundred people." Um, she would rather let's say that, and let's say that thirteen of those hundred people would have failed, mm-hmm. you know, in my sort of world. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, so Rachel, and let's say that ten of them would have gone on to be super successful. So Rachel Shabby would say that it was better for the ten people to also have rice and chicken, mm-hmm. <laughs> the same as the thirteen people, and that was fairer. Mm. Right now, I, I don't have a problem with that because freedom of choice. Is what is the most important? I mean, if you go back to the Chinese thing, mm-hmm. uh, clearly, uh, and even now they don't. 
but, but, but yeah, the Chinese worker doesn't have freedom of choice. They don't have... So if you take Britain, you know, we have the greatest track record in invention. And that's because, despite anything, uh, you know, we are an amazing, resourceful people. Mm. You know, we had to work out how to sail from Portsmouth to Australia, mm. didn't we? Mm. We had to work out how to make... Uh, the deserts, you know, how to make Australia a land that can be lived in and things. You know, we're a very adaptable, resourceful people. And that's why um, that's why I have a real problem with the sort of remain attitude that, um, you know, everything's going to implode because over the wider picture of history, mm. our outlook has always been vastly international. And we've always worked with people and, we, and with countries, and you know, and well, nobody else, I would suggest. Yeah, so so it's not like um, losing, becoming independent. It's going to take that away. We for thousands of years we've been, you know, doing that. <laughs> yeah, but I think you know, just you know, just sort of trying to wrap this discussion up a bit. I mean, you know, so, so I think you know the point I want to make to, to to leave people with is is that. I want I want to give examples of real situations which show that economics is 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 not a clear clearly defined science where there is just one way mm-hmm. and, and and education is a great example so to me um, I was obviously a byproduct of the grammar school system and I think that is a great system maybe marginally flawed and I think like a lot of things what happens quite often is uh, what people tend to do is so let's look at the grammar school system right and, and again I you know if people think I don't understand the downside of this my brother was very 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 affected by my success my dad bought me a racing bike when I when I passed my 11 plus and I went to Dr Morgan's and I remember my brother saying to dad oh if I don't if I if I don't get in do I not get a bike mm-hmm. yeah so I don't think you'd have to be a rocket scientist work out that it was harder for Mark to take his exam than it was me because mm, mm. he, he had that additional pressure that I was mm. already there mm, mm. Uh, and he wasn't as clever as me anyway uh, and somehow rather a fair play to him he managed he managed to pass you know nice one um, which I think is a, is, a, is, a, is a good story actually about what should happen you know so it was harder for him but he found you know he found a way to you know whatever despite everything now clearly there are very 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 clever people that system fails maybe that at the age of ten and a half they're not quite finished yet you know mm-hmm. they maybe um, well I, 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 I you know this should have happened to me actually um, you know I got run over when I was four years old you know huge huge uh, hole in my leg leg was black you know blah 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 and I, I didn't know. go to school for months oh Christ so you know, uh, in theory, I could have been months behind everyone else. Whereas, in fact, I was in the top class for three years in a row, as you know. Mm. Um, and that's only really because of my mum's schooling and my innate intelligence, I suppose. Mm. You know, without being too immodest about it. But you know, you might have someone that had measles when they were five. I'd lost a year of school and were simply behind for that reason it wasn't you know mm. and maybe that it's only in when they get to 13 that they've they become great say you know mm, mm. but I think rather than turn around and say well the 11 plus is unfair it doesn't work wouldn't it be a better thing to say well what's good about it and what's not, what's not good about it mm. you know mm. so perhaps you say yes that is a good system but it's failing some of the people what can we do to to, to, to 
put them back in the sea later mm. or something like that do you know mm-hmm. what I mean mm. but I think if you take if you t- so this is me so if it's me I would have uh, I would have centres of excellence I would um, I would create an education system which allowed the people who were really good to be as good as they could be mm. without neglecting not stifle anyone without exactly mm. that's, a good, that's exactly the right word mm. and but uh, without then um, doing that anyone down either mm. you know so you know I'm a great believer that, so the, the difference between me and a, and a Marxist is so if you listen to when I'm talking I say I believe that everyone in this country should be well educated don't I mm. everyone should receive the best education they should receive I, I personally don't particularly like people going to Eton, if you want me to be honest, you know, because um, I feel I do regard that as a bit elitist, right? But at the end of the day, um, that's their parents' choice, isn't it? It comes back to the freedom of choice again. You can't have uh, a free market situation and deny people the right to go to Harrow and Eton. Mm-hmm. I'm just admitting, right, uh, on air, that I personally have a bit of a issue with that. Mm. In fact, when I was younger I, I used that to fuel me yeah I'm, I'm as good as you mm. you can go mm. to bloody Eton but I'm going to bloody well beat you mm. you know mm. I can remember um, and I write about this in my book when when my doubles partner and I Paul Donoghue got to the first final of the Somerset um, uh, doubles when we were 17 I think it was and we played Millfield number ones in the final and there's I'd even forgotten my tennis shoes so I was <laughs> actually wearing like a ridiculous pair of shoes or something playing tennis with my six pound racket from you know you laugh it's true a six pound racket from Woolworths that's what mm. I had mm. and we're playing people that have got who look like John McEnroe you know <laughs> and and you would not believe how motivated I was to beat them mm. which we did mm. and I think and as I told the story that the, 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 the particularly noisy dominant one on the other side broke his racket and, and he was so disgusted that he could lose to someone from Bridgewater mm-hmm. you know so to me you see I use that sort of thing to fuel me yes you know you're privileged I'm better than you you wouldn't believe how how much you get discriminated against in rugby for instance you go to a rugby trial right you go there as a brilliant fullback in my case you're not allowed to play fullback because the Sherborne school bloke's playing fullback mm-hmm. you know I had to play the whole Somerset trials on the left wing Mm. never having played wing in my life mm-hmm. and I still got picked oh nice mm-hmm. yeah, but that, that, so you know don't, I don't need to be spoken to about discrimination you know the fact is you know you and I come from a town quite a rough town a working class town which is put down um, but the fact is you know if you've got the right spirit you can overcome that and you mm-hmm. I think I think those experiences make me stronger than say a privileged person not the other way around mm-hmm. so I think um the other thing I think which is very relevant is, especially to the university debate, is uh, we we clearly have a deficiency of skilled workers, mm-hmm. so skilled trades. So I think what we should be doing is rather than encouraging three million people to go to university who clearly shouldn't be going, we should be getting those three million people to become carpenters and plumbers, mm-hmm. yeah, and skilled motor mechanics. You know, that's that's. So there should be far more spend on vocational things, apprenticeships, mm. uh, you know, that, that sort mm. of base learning. But again, this is this is all about applying the fundamentals of economics in a different way, depending on your point of view. Mm. And that's why you can get the governor of the Bank of England, who I think is an idiot, <laughs> by the way. Um, I mean, he's just a pompous idiot, pompous Canadian idiot, to be honest with you. 
um, who sits there lecturing us all on, on what's going to happen or whatever. Now, I, I would suggest that if Mr. Carney and I had to take an intelligence test, I would not fail fare that badly <laughs> against him. Uh, but my opinion of the future and his are markedly different. Mm. Uh, I think that is just the acid test of the fact that economics is a vast... It's, it's, it's a science where uh, it's open... The principles are open to interpretation. Mm. Mm. Is that enough for today, Mr. Yeah, Armstrong? Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> a nice overview of the subject, sir, and, and some interesting points you made there good so, so this week's this week's music um, it's, it's interesting this I've, I've decided that um, I was thinking about this last night actually uh, I think so obviously I've been alive through uh, was it 60s 70s 80s 90s so this is my sixth uh, sixth uh, decade uh, wow. that I've been alive uh, and to me the current decade would be the worst mm. musically mm-hmm uh, the one before that, the second worst. <laughs> it's getting worse, guys. <laughs> well, no, it is. Yeah. It is. And I, I would say that I would clearly give the 60s the vote. Mm. Uh, and it's I'd a- say for popular music, yes, or, or music that's um, you know on the radio, there's a lot of really amazing ap- independent artists and things like that that are keeping a... Keeping the fire alive, as you'd say, with the with the yeah. No, music. no, you know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to suggest that there aren't as equally talented people. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you know, probably you take yourself or Joe Wynn. Oh. Mm. If you or Joe Wynn were a mates of John Lennon, uh, I don't see Makes why you couldn't have been the Beatles. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't see. Tell me why. Why that couldn't have happened? Mm. Mm. You've got as much talent as loads of people are famous. Mm. You know, it's, it's all about things like opportunity chance where you are at a certain point in time all mm. that sort of thing isn't it mm. anyway uh, we don't, we're not really here today to talk too much about which is the greatest decade but I do yeah. think the 60s is the greatest <laughs> so, so there we are <laughs> so um, I find myself um, increasingly listening to um, 60s stuff that either I never listened to at the time or I've really gotten into um, and, I'm re- and I'm really enjoying that so um, I decided today to pick another great record from the 60s and of course, one of the things I try to do is uh, pick records which um, clearly you as listeners will enjoy and also um, introduce music to Drew as well because obviously Drew's an important part of my life now and uh, a, very, a very positive, creative influence to me. Uh, and, it, and it gives me quite a lot of pleasure when he says to me, hey, Paolo, you know, that was a really good record. You <laughs> Whatever. So today I've picked a, a record that I think he will like. Uh, I, I, I was sort of singing it to him earlier if that's what I do of course um, and he said oh, it was a bit folky and I said well of course it's a bit folky you know so this is a song written by Tom Springfield um, based on an original Russian folk song oh uh, which obviously was adapted and, 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 and correctly you know, adapted into a into a format uh, for a you know a chart hit or whatever you want to call it um, Tom Springfield being a, a very um famous guy I, I, I'm not sure whether he was the brother of Dusty Springfield I should have looked it up um, I, I, I think he was and then a part of me thinks yeah, no, I'm pretty, I think, I'm pretty sure Dusty Springfield was originally in the Springfields mm-hmm. and then of course there was quite a famous band called Buffalo Springfield which I think you yeah. have heard of so Tom Springfield wrote this song uh, especially for The Seekers uh, The Seekers are a four piece band from Melbourne Australia um, quite an interesting um, outfit 
Uh, three three chaps uh, and a diminutive girl with a voice like an angel. Mm. Um, and um, I always remember as a as a little boy, uh, I always liked the Seekers. I like the Seekers as well um, because they were Australian. And I think, bearing in mind, this is five years before we joined the EU, so we were we were free <laughs> before we got deceived into joining the EU through the back door. But let's not go there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, true, true fact though, listeners. Um, so, you know, this is a time when um, I was brought up to revere the Commonwealth. You know, people from Australia, Canada, New Zealand were our brothers. You know, these were serious people that had made great sacrifices to support the mothership, as we've discussed in World War One episodes, etc. So as a little boy, um, I, I always remember particularly liking Norwegian people than Australians. Mm, you know mm. for instance you know um so i was very very um supportive mentally of the seekers as a whole concept i loved the thought of these people were over the other side of the world where everyone stood on their head and the water went around the wrong way and stuff you know <laughs> uh, and of course they were very loved in in england um that was their greatest market mm. you know was was obviously being very popular in their own country uh, in fact last night i watched them on the ed sullivan show you know ed sullivan is a truly iconic person if you got onto the Ed Sullivan show in the 60s uh, it was quite funny because he was quite an old bloke and it was quite funny really because it was like watching this 70 year old might have been older than that introducing the the hip and happening events and mm. uh, it was one of their lesser songs uh, and, and he basically said uh, and now from Melbourne Australia there's uh, a band that's just started enjoying tremendous success in the UK so <laughs> off the back of a chart head and they're the Seekers <laughs> um, so the Seekers uh, were, were a Melbourne based band that basically came to the UK to, to get famous I suppose mm. <laughs> and um, they lived in the UK most of them I think one of them might, might be resident I know that Judith Durham has, has, has gone back to Australia and has won various awards so they were the most popular band of their type in the 60s beyond all doubt um I don't quite know how you would categorise them. Um, folk or whatever, you know, it'll be interesting to hear what you have to say again. Um, so effectively, it's quite a, an interesting uh, assembly because you think of a band normally, you'd think you've got to have a drummer. You know, these days, you'd have a drummer, a pianist or a keyboard player, wouldn't you? Mm. Guy on bass, guy on lead guitar and a lead singer who may be doing one of the other things as well. Mm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, standard set mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got the Seekers, you've got this really tall guy with really thick glasses. I always, I always find him fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, probably six foot four at least, quite thick by vocals, playing his double bass. Oh, yeah. Very, in a very distinctive way, you know. Mm -hmm. Then you had two, uh, two guys playing acoustic guitar. Mm. Effectively, which you'll hear very strongly, and then you've got Judith herself. Um, you know, with probably one of the be interested to see what you think. One of the most powerful voices, I think. This this song, "The Carnival Is Over," um, was number one for three weeks, I think, and um, charted in the USA. It was number one in Australia, mm. charted in most of places like Germany, you know, Holland these sort of places Ireland obviously uh, and I believe I'm right in saying it's the 30th top selling single in the UK of all time mm. with 1.4 million sales so it's um, it's a it's a really nice song um, very much in keeping with our sort of folky 
in their message you know the words are very nice as well you know like all their uh, the carnival is over I will love you until I die that's nice isn't it ah wow well, yeah <laughs> so um, we're going to leave you today with the seekers and the carnival is over and we all hope you have a lovely weekend and it only remains me to wish our team the Somerset Vikings every success in the uh, regional cup final against Reading tomorrow at Trowbridge RFC uh, and uh, we'll be there as will Mr John O. Harris so nice. come on the Vikings who <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> enjoy listeners 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 and we will see you next week Thank you.